Let's chat. Let's not preach today. Let's chat. You know, as we shared last week, sometimes church is like it is right now, whether it's on a screen or whether you're here or at home. Um, sometimes church is sitting in rows and we're being instructed by God's word and we're listening and we're asking God to speak to our hearts. And then again, other times, you know, church gets better. Not hopefully that this is bad, but church gets better when we get into spaces where we can turn our chairs, sorry, six feet apart, where we can turn our chairs and we can then open God's word together and you can tell me about your life and I can tell you about my life. And this is an enriching experience, yet it's also a very vulnerable experience because the moment you turn your chair to somebody else, you have the potential to be offended. We have the potential to be wounded. We have the potential to be misunderstood. Uh, we have the potential for really healing to happen and also for hurt to, be trans- for hurt to transpire. And in the kingdom of God, sometimes six feet isn't enough. Sometimes it's okay to even get a little bit more distance between one another. You know, there, when you look through church history, there is Catholic and there is Protestant. And even within that, there are churches that have certain beliefs that other churches don't. And the truth is, Sometimes a little bit of distance and even different churches. No one church is the church. We are all small C churches that comprise the capital C church. And the truth is sometimes it's important to have denominational differences because if we don't and our chairs are too close, all we're going to do is spend the entirety of our time together fighting one another and not actually going into all the world and doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And so sometimes it's okay to be this way. This, as followers of Christ, sometimes it's even okay in relationships to be able to go, I can still see you and you can still see me, but we're going to put up a boundary right here because you may not be safe or I may not be able to hear what it is that you're saying. This is not the end of the story, but it is sometimes a necessary chapter to get to the end of healing that we desire. Yet, there's only one position that is demonic in nature. And it is when the enemy uses offense to get us back to back. Because when we as followers of Christ now sit back to back, when we sit as enemies, again, I can no longer see you, but I can no longer see the world that you see. I only see the world that I see. And when we get in this place, just as when we get in the other place, when our chairs are facing one another, church, in Christ, all things are possible. But I want to let you know that when we get in this place by the enemy, church, all things are possible. And the truth is that every one of us are offended in life and we offend others. John Eldridge says that we are at war and the bloody battle is over our hearts. I'm astounded how few Christians see this, how little they protect their hearts. We act as though we live in a sleepy town during peacetime. We don't. We live in a spiritual equivalent of Bosnia or Beirut. 
Act like it. Watch over your heart. Don't let just anything in. Don't let your heart just go anywhere. As a parent, when the kids were much younger, we used to have filters on the internet. Things that you tried to hope that they wouldn't be exposed to. The genuine truth is, though, it is only the word of God that is to be a filter over our hearts. Because you may not be exposed to explicit content online. You may have good filters for that but you can still be exposed to everything else that, again, can affect and infect all of our hearts, every one of us. You know, today's message is easy to think about somebody else, perhaps, but I'm asking you not to do that. I'm asking you not to do that. I'm asking us as a church not to do that. I'm asking us to position and say, Lord, speak to our hearts, because here's what's true of all of us. Every one of us have offended a holy God. There is none of us that is not complicit. None of us have lived our lives perfectly. Every single one of us have offended God. And how does God treat us? Not often the way we treat one another. So we all have room to grow in living more like Jesus. Proverbs says, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The children of Israel warned future generations in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. It says, be careful and watch yourself closely. In other words, watch your heart. Watch yourself closely. Don't become self-absorbed, but monitor what's going on the inside so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearing as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your children after them. So we see even in the early children of Israel, there was this understanding that generations teach the next generation and the next generation learns and listens the stories that this generation, there was this interplay between generations. And most importantly, Jesus said that we can know the signs of the times, that we can look at wars and rumors of wars and trials and false prophets. But Jesus also told us in the last days, the last days started the moment the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And so as the, de- the decades and the, the every hundred years and a thousand years and then another thousand years, we're always getting closer to the return of Christ, closer from that day. So the last day started and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. But here's what Jesus said would happen in the last days. It says that many will fall away and betray one another and even hate one another. And how does this happen? How is it that a church... How is it that a family, how is it that a husband and wife, how is it that a friend group, how is it that a life group moves from either having chairs facing one another to actually in this place? And it starts with being offended. It starts with this not insignificant thing, but this significant word called offense. You know, not only do we need to guard and protect our hearts, but according to the scriptures, we also need real wisdom in how we're guarding and how we're protecting our hearts. Because if we protect them from everything and we are never vulnerable, then we will also never love and we will never live. That we can actually live walled off and closed off and not hearing one another. And we may think that we're safe, but we're actually becoming more sick. And so we need to learn and discern how do we do this together. And no one does it perfectly. Therefore, we need grace and we need truth and we need time with every single one of us. See, the Bible speaks about offense in two ways. And just before I define it, I want to say this to some of you. The Holy Spirit wants to diagnose a condition of your heart. You're sick. You're sick and you don't know it. There's somewhere that offense has gotten in. And that offense didn't pass through 
it took resident, residence in your heart. And now it has become the lens through which you see the entire world. Excuse me, it's also the lens through which we don't see the entire world. It's the lens by how you view you, but you can't see it through the eyes of another. It's called an offense. The Bible speaks that offenses happen in two ways. Number one is that you do something wrong. Your behavior is crooked. Uh, That's called iniquity. It's called sin. It's called transgression. I trespass against you. You trespass against me. Just like a no trespassing sign. We as humans have boundaries where you're not supposed to trespass, but sometimes we cross those things in relationships. You do something wrong. Your behavior does something wrong, and you offend somebody. You, you wound somebody. You, your words wound their heart. Your behavior, whether it is through anger or silence, wounds and offends their heart. You engage and attack or you withdraw altogether and that exasperates as well. So we do something. Something happens and we respond. We do something, offense can come that way. The Bible also though speaks that you and I are not only responsible for our own lives, that sometimes you cause somebody else to do wrong. Because here's what is true. If I had more chairs, I would do it, but I can only carry two at a time because that's just how strong I am or not strong I am. But if I used it this way, here's what happens. The Bible also says, I'm sorry. You're not only responsible for me, myself, and I. Your behavior influences other people. That how we engage this influences others. Because here's what I know about my offended heart. My offended heart wants a friend. My offended heart wants people to be on my side. And guess what? Somebody else's offended heart wants people to be on their side. But the truth is, the truth is, we don't win the battle of offense by being on each other's side. We win the battle of the offense when we understand that we have all offended God. It's not on the side of do you see what I see. This is important in working it out. We're going to get there next week. But truth matters more than sides. When you're offended, it's very easy to pull people to your pain. I've done it. It is the temptation every single time. You know, I want you to think about uh, an ancient film that you've seen. You know, today's arrows don't really apply. But I want you to think about an old arrow, one that is, you know, at the tip, very, very sharp, but then at the bottom is that long, straight line. So that long, straight, like a, like a triangle. I want you to just picture that in your mind as an arrow. The Bible describes a fence like an arrow with a tip that is pointed, so pointy, but then it moves to that straight line like a triangle. So a fence is shaped like an ancient arrow. It pierces our hearts with relative ease, causing instantaneous pain. Yet the greater damage is done when without any skill, we try to remove the arrow ourselves and deny that, or we deny that we have ever been wounded or been offended. I don't know if you've ever seen an old film like Gladiator or whatever. Some of you are like, no, I'm too holy. I don't watch those films. Amen. That was a joke. But if you've ever been pierced, if you ever watch it, and someone is pierced by one of those ancient arrows, here's what they didn't do. In their own strength, they didn't grab it and rip it out. 
Usually they broke it off and they waited later until someone with skill and a surgeon can take it out. Here's why. In our own strength, when we wound one another, we do great damage when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to pull out an arrow of offense. It is not just the wounding of it hits our hearts. It is sometimes in our ignorance. It is sometimes in our pain. And it is sometimes in our, I just don't want to feel that, that we desire to pull it out. Look at the armor of God is meant to protect us. Yet once we have been hit, once we have been wounded, then we need the skillful work of Jesus. We need the skillful work of the, soul, of the Holy Spirit to begin to pull it out of our hearts and lives so as not to create increased damage as we walk forward together. You know, how do you know that you're dealing with an offense? <laughs> Symptom number one, you're going about your day minding your own business and you can't help but have imaginary conversations against so-and-so. You're driving, you're in the shower, you're doing whatever you're doing, you're at work, you're engaged, and all of a sudden, 15 minutes go by, and you've had a full imaginary conversation about someone where they've delivered zingers, you've delivered zingers back, you've fully engaged, you've come out victorious because you're the champion, and how many of you know that we can be right and we can still lose a relationship? I have been so offended at times in my life. I'm not proud to admit this, but I have left work and driven home. Now, granted, it's not that far. It's about 10 to 12 minutes. But I've left work and driven home and pulled into my driveway, and I have no recollection of how I drove home. I don't remember a stop sign. I don't remember. I mean, everybody must have been gracious on the road. I don't remember anything at all. Talk about distracted driving. Distracted driving is not just a mobile phone issue. It is a heart issue. This happens to all of us. We begin to have these vain imaginations, these conversations, again, not with people, about people. And that's different. Offense goes deeper into our hearts when the problem shifts from the problem and the problem becomes a person. Then it goes deeper. Now, it's difficult. It's even layered here because sometimes people are the problem. And you may have thought of somebody. Well, here's a word I give to you from the Lord. Somebody just thought of you. We all just thought of somebody. And you know, we all pop into each other's heads. The scriptures in Proverbs 18 verse 19 says that a brother or a sister who is offended that you have done something wrong, something wrong has been done to you, or you've caused somebody else to stumble, or you've picked up somebody else's pain. A brother or a sister offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In other words, an offended person is imprisoned within their own offense. And here's what I know. Offense is so insidious that I have been offended by somebody over here. And then ungraciously, I've held it together all day, I've held it together all day, I've held it together all day, and then I get with the people whom I love the most, and they do the slightest thing wrong, and I disproportionately take out the pain and offense that I have over here on those I love the most. This is not just a talk around. 
Oftentimes, we are trying to engage a problem with one another, not only realizing that the problem didn't originate perhaps with you. Perhaps it originated many years earlier in some other area that has not yet been healed, or the arrow was just ripped out and the damage has never yet been restored. This is not easy stuff. Every one of us offend, and every one of us are offended. And when our hearts are offended, the enemy has a threefold plan. And I need you to hear this, because some of you are at phase one, but you and I get to choose whether we see phase two or phase three. The phase one of the enemy's plan is to rob you, to rob you of peace, number one, to rob you of a relationship. To rob you of seeing somebody and not just seeing yourself. To to rob what could be. To rob what might have been. To rob all of these things. This is the power of an offense. But that is painful, yes. Yet it is only phase one of his plan. In other words, it can get worse left untreated, left unhealed by God, left undiagnosed, left just not spoken about. And here's what is true. Sometimes when we are offended, some of us talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And that can be good, but can also bleed onto others. But others of us never talk about it. And that is equally powerful. That is equally painful and that can be as equally unhealthy because just because we don't talk about pain in our hearts and our lives doesn't mean it isn't there. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist and does not mean that it may surface in another situation unbeknownst to us. I have had moments where I've been wounded and I have moments other people come up and say, this is where you wounded me. Absolutely. But I've had moments where I've been wounded and again, and then in another situation, I responded disproportionately and it took me a minute to figure out, oh, okay, that had nothing to do with that. That was actually about this. This matters for us to talk about. Offense, again, is a threefold plan. So when are we most offended? You and I, when are we most offended? Well, we are most offended when we are treated in an unjust manner. That is where we are most offended. Today I'm speaking about personal offense. There is a time and a place where we as a church must also talk about systemic offense. It's a larger and a different conversation, but one that is equally needed. Today I'm speaking about personal, and so some things apply and others not so much. But when we are treated in an unjust manner, we are offended, all right? But the second is, sometimes we are offended when we believe or we perceive that we have been treated in an unjust manner, whether that is true or not. In other words, the enemy can get us back to back based on something that really happened, genuinely happened. But the enemy can also get us back to back based upon something that we perceived, that we misunderstood, that we took the wrong way, and thus we get back to back By a show of hands here and everybody on the chat listening live, whether you're here or you're at home, by a show of hands, has anybody here ever been offended? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, fantastic. Same question. Next question. Has anybody here, no, just 
whether you intended it or not, but that you know I have absolutely offended someone else. Can I see your hands, please? One more, one more question, one more. We're not going to have 100 questions. Don't worry. This isn't like 21 questions. Question number three, has anybody here ever had a time in their life where you were offended and later, however later that is, came to realize, ah, I actually misunderstood. Can I see your hands, please? So the truth of the scripture is this. Your heart needs to be protected. But here's the truth of God's word. Don't you dare trust your heart above all things. God's word is more true than your heart. Your heart, I sit with people all the time, perhaps you do too, who say things like, man, I I met so-and-so and I thought that they were going to be the love of my life. And three weeks later, I found out. Or man, I, my heart has deceived me. Jesus says, no, no, from our heart come wonderful things. But from our heart also come jealousy and envy and anger and sin. As I shared last week, Willie James Jennings says, we who follow Jesus are working in wounds, working with wounds, and working through wounds, which means sometimes we are treated in an unjust manner, and we have a legitimate offense. And other times we misunderstand one another, we disagree with one another, and we can be offended because we believe that we have been mistreated or treated in an unjust manner, whether it is true or whether it is not true. I've had the privilege in my life to travel a little bit, and post-COVID, oh, it will be beautiful to travel again. But in Israel, they have a few seas. They have the Mediterranean, they have the Red Sea, they have the Sea of Galilee, and they also have the Dead Sea. What makes the Dead Sea dead is that it has full inflow, but it has no outflow, so there's no life within it. It's just salt at an incredibly high rate. Three of them, three of the other seas are teeming with life. Of course, one isn't. And so when we are offended, here's what the scriptures talk about. When we are offended, it's not the inflow that we have to pay attention to. Because while we're offended, we can take in the same amount of information, the same education, the same experiences, the same relationships. The the inflow doesn't necessarily change. The inflow comes with offense, yes. But how we know when we are offended deeply is we have to look at the outflow of our heart, not the intake of our lives. We have to look at what's flowing out of us. Yet when there's an offense, again, whether it's true or perceived, it begins to constrict our hearts. It begins to rewire our hearts until there's little, no outflow of our hearts to one another's. Now, there's a profound story in Genesis chapter 4. Abel offers a sacrifice of worship, which God accepts. Okay? Stick with me. We're just chatting, not preaching, just having a conversation. I know it's really one-sided, so forgive me. Not really a conversation, it's more of a dialogue, it's more of a monologue at this moment, isn't it? If this was a conversation, I could say something here. I get it. Cain, or say Abel, offers this sacrifice of worship. He offers a sacrifice to God, and it's a lamb, and it's slain. It's the best he can give. He offers it, and God accepts his form of worship. Cain, his brother, does the exact same thing, only he doesn't give God his best. He gives God what's equivalent to his leftovers. And God is speaking about Cain to his heart. 
Cain's heart is in the wrong place, and so God rejects the offering. Here's what I want you to note. Before you see the very first homicide in humanity, Abel does nothing to Cain. There are stories that we could read about, like Joseph, whose brothers take him and sell him into slavery. How many of you know that's a legitimate, a legitimate cause for an offense? Now, it takes Joseph 17 years. It takes Joseph 17 years to get from back to back to here. Church, we love getting to the happy ending as fast as we can. We don't have to get there fast. We have to get there in God's timing. 17 years it takes for them to get to this place. I hope there's no relationships that take 17 years. But they may. 17 years, Joseph is in a position where he can repay evil towards his brothers. And his heart has been transformed. He's let go of unforgiveness. And he treats them with kindness. That's not what happens, though, with Cain and Abel. Abel does nothing to Cain, but Cain is offended. Cain is not offended with Abel alone. He's offended that God has rejected his offering. And so he takes it out on his brother, and he takes his brother's life. And here's what the Scripture says. In Genesis 4, verse 7, it says that when you and I are offended, it says that sin crouches right at the door. That when we're offended... Sin crouches right at the door and speaks to us words of self-affirmation. You're right. They're wrong. You only, behave, you only behave this way because they behaved that way. All these words that self-justify. God says to Cain before he commits murder, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Cain, I haven't created you to kill your brother. I've created you to love your brother. I've created you to be a co-heir with your brother. I've created you to multiply life, not to take life. It's contrary. But God says to Cain, but you have to rule over it. In other words, you're not just an innocent bystander. You, we can't just go through life like, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. These things are waging war against our heart. A heart offended, once again, is only one step in the enemy's plan. Yet it is the principal point of pain. It is not a sin to be offended, just like it isn't a sin to be tempted. But what we do when offended is so vital. Do we build up or do we tear down? Do we bless or do we curse? What we do leads to the healing or the amplification of hurt. So is there a more like Jesus alternative than Cain? Is there a more like Jesus alternative than Saul? Is there a more like Jesus alternative than rob, kill, and destroy? Yes, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundant. But here's the thing. The way of Jesus is narrow. It's not broad. The way of Jesus may not be doing what you want to do or what I want to do. The way of Jesus calls us to die to ourselves so that somebody else can live. The way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus, there's lots of stories that we can tell, but there's a place I want to go in Mark 3 as we begin to wind this down. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. So he needed healing. And they watched Jesus, the Pharisees did, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill a life or to kill? But they were silent. 
And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against how to destroy Jesus. Some people actually become more enraged when God heals your heart. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself today that I should ask myself today that we as a church must ask ourselves today. In the story that I just read, number one, you ain't Jesus and neither am I. So we're either the one in need of healing or we're the one offended by how God and who God is healing. So here's a question I want you to ask yourself. Am I like a Pharisee who looks not for the good in others, the good in Jesus, the good in church, but for further evidence to add to my offense? Today, when I hear the word church, do I hear the word Christian? Do I only hear negative things? Am I looking every day for things that add to my offense? Here's what I know. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, you name it. You want to you see a Christian doing something stupid? Go for it. Which platform do I have to pull up? Any of them. If you want to be offended, you could live in this day and age in consistent offense. Justified, too. But the question is, is that only what I'm conditioning my heart to see? The spirit of the Pharisee, a spirit of a Pharisee sounds like this. The world would be a better place if you were more like me. But Life Center, that's not what we're doing this year. We're not trying to say the world would be a better place if others were more like me. We're trying to say the world would be a better place if all of us were more like Jesus. Which means, Life Center, we must be like the man with the withered hand. Now here's what I want to point out today. The man with the withered hand had a choice to make, and I don't know if you saw that in the text. He doesn't only have one hand, he has two. He had the choice to hide his sin, hide his brokenness, hide his area that needed healing, and extend his good hand. What do you mean? I don't need healing, I'm good. And you say, well, that's absurd. Is it so absurd? How often do we not extend our brokenness to Jesus? Why? Because in order to heal it, he may actually ask us to do something more painful, like forgive. And so we'd rather go, God, I don't want you to look over here at my offense. I want you to look at my spiritual gifts. And God says, those are wonderful. But if we don't deal with the wounding and the offense, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. These two things are on a collision course. The world has seen too many gifted people who were deficient in character destroy lives and destroy churches. The question is, am I willing in the presence of others to extend to Jesus that which needs to be healed? Scott Sauls says, the spirit of the Pharisee in 2020 sounds like this. I disregard you because you aren't as virtuous or well-behaved or doctrinaire as I am. In other words, I disregard you because I know more about the Bible than you do, so you just zip it and listen to me. That's the heart of a Pharisee. Equally now, though, there's another side of this coin, which is this. I disregard you because you aren't as kind, accepting, and inclusive as I am. It is still the spirit of the Pharisee. 
So what do you do when you're offended? What do I do? What should we do when we're offended? Guard your outflow. Your outflow determines whether the enemy does greater damage. In church, being robbed is damaging. But you know what is greater damage than being robbed? Kill and destroy. If you presented me as a homeowner with three options, somebody can come into my home and take every possession that we have, including my dog. Or somebody could come into my home and take the life of someone that I love. It's no contest. Take all of my possessions, including my dog. Rob is devastating, but kill and destroy, those are worse. Guard your outflow. Gossip is an outflow. Slander is an outflow. Self-righteous grandstanding is an outflow. Creating sides, outflow. Being a functional Pharisee by pulling others down to lift yourself up to feel strong in a moment You may feel this surge of strength when you gossip. You may feel a surge of strength when you put someone else and you stand on them to get higher. You may feel a sense of of strength when you engage that, but I am telling you today, it is a brittle false strength. It may fill you with temporary strength, but in reality, it is only making you, it is only making us more sick. We can't help maybe but talk about it. But who and how we talk about our offense really matters. Honest confession is the first step in allowing the Lord to bring openness and healing to our heart, to open our heart, to open your heart. Honest confession. Gossip and slander, that's not honest confession. That's still talking about others. Honest confession is, I have been wounded, I have been hurt, or I have done wounding, I have hurt. We can confess it to God. We can confess it in prayer. You may need to pray about it for a season before you can actually approach anybody else because you got to let God heal your heart. you got to let him take the arrow out without creating damage, and only he's skilled to do that. In my life, I have ripped out arrows, and oh, it's only made things worse. You have to confess to a brother or sister in Christ who will speak both grace and truth to your life. Grace that you need, but sometimes truth that we hear. Grace that says, yes, you may have offended. Truth can also be, but you didn't help the situation. Or perhaps, no, you misunderstood. Or perhaps it was simply whatever it is. You can fill in that equation. All of us need both grace and we need truth. And lastly, God willing, you can confess to the one who you have created or caused, or who caused, who you created or you caused the offense. And finally, as the team begins to play in a moment here, a biblical apology sounds like this. Are you ready? A biblical apology does not start with, you did. That is not a biblical apology. There may be time to talk about what they did, but a biblical apology starts with, admit your mistake and apologize. Take full responsibility for any harm that you did. Any relationship involves two people. 
you can't do the whole 100%, but you have to take 100% for whatever your side of the road is. You may be sitting here today and say, in the offense, they're responsible for 90%. I'm responsible for 10%. Then in humility, own your 10%, 100% of the way. But also be willing to hear that perhaps you're correct. Perhaps you're incorrect. Perhaps you contributed much more than you realized. And then make amends by committing to change your behavior, not by yourself, by God's grace, by God's truth, and also over time. When we're offended, who and how we talk about it and who and how we talk to is vital before we actually get to the seat of forgiveness. Together, let's stand. Because all of us have offended a God who is holy, a God that is righteous. And here's how God operates in my life, in yours. God gives us grace, which is unmerited. We can't earn it. God also speaks truth to our hearts. And come on, whether you're at home or online or here, just a chat this morning. Aren't you glad that God gives you time? Aren't you glad? Here's a real ugly truth that we don't talk about in church a lot. It's really hard to change. I don't know if you've noticed. It's really hard to change. It's not hard for other people to tell you what to change. It is hard to trust and allow God to heal and to transform and to renew. and to con- it's, This is the work of the body of Christ. This is the work that God needs to do. I wish I could stand up here and say, it's not that hard to change. No, the, my confession this morning is, there are some things that God's been working on in me for 47 years, and he's still working on me. That doesn't excuse any behavior, but it means that sometimes we need to give people grace and truth and time. Church, sometimes we have to be okay with being a little bit apart because we have an advocate, an intercessor. We have a mediator, and it's none of us. It's only one who went through life, who had every justification to smite us all. Yet he who was without sin knew no sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. So Lord, would you help us live more like you by understanding that you're holy and that you also desire to work in our hearts and lives to make us more like you.